0: me would you have any gray poupon i want my mtv hey where's the beef? does barry manilow know that he's great his wardrobe mr gorbachev tears
1: down this wall oh norley are you telling me you built a time machine out of a delorean but it's only authentic if it says members only right here Live from members only studios, welcome to Living in the 80s, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with the 1980s the best way we remember it. So, usually, if you're in this podcast, I'm down here in the studio with uh friends, we'll do a few Zoom podcasts and things like that. But you know what? We've just taken our credibility up a notch, like, we have gone above and beyond just our you know, normal imbeciles we have doing the show here. And I just, I met a new friend recently and uh, we got to chatting. I invited him on the podcast and I am looking very forward to our conversation this week. And I think you guys are going to get a, you guys will have a good time, guaranteed. So I would love to introduce Chris Clues today. Uh, he, he He's an author, a real live author with a book, not just like, you know, okay you know, uh, hey, I got this book with staples in it. No, this is like a real book you can like buy on Amazon and stuff. It's called What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About the Workplace. Welcome, Chris.
0: Thank you, Rob. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It means a lot to me anytime somebody has me on a podcast because it's really easy to sit here and be a guest. Uh, The work that you guys do on the back end to produce these independent podcasts, uh, it's the reason that I haven't made my own yet because I know there's a lot of work that goes into it. So I greatly appreciate the megaphone.
1: Well, you know what? It, it's great to have you. So what we're going to do first, we're going to have Chris, we're, we're going to tell us your story. Tell us about growing up, you know, why you become such an eighties pop culture guru, and then uh, kind of evolve that into how and why you, you wrote the book.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I, you know, I'm an eighties kid. I, uh, I say that, uh, my formative years were in the eighties. So I was 10 years old in 1980, which is kind of terrifying at this point, but I was 10 years old in 1980, uh, 10 to 19. So I tell everybody like the, everything I did for the first time in my life, I did in the eighties, good, bad, or indifferent. And so, uh, I am a, a pure child of the eighties and I have been in marketing for 20 plus years. Um, a few years ago, I was in a situation probably most of us have been in where I was in a job that just kind of wasn't working for me. And, uh, you know, living on my own, I was kind of having a self-pity party of one, uh, which I do every so often. And I was kind of home contemplating, you know, I, okay, what is what is what what is my life about? What is my career about? Is, is it just going to be on my gravestone that I was a pretty good marketing guy? Is that, that what this has come down to? And um, I was laying on my couch and the breakfast club came on. Uh, one of my favorites, and I you know, I think um, if you were to name my my top 10 80s movies, obviously The Breakfast Club would be in there. Uh, I was having a self-pity party of one watching The Breakfast Club, and Bender said something uh, that in the past, the 150 times or so that I'd watched The Breakfast Club before it never stood out to me, but it did this day. And it was, screws fall out all the time, the world's an imperfect place.
1: One of my favorite lines from the movie.
0: And I had just... I had thought of, you know some of the other lines for me were you know we're all a little bizarre we're all bizarre some of us are just better at hiding it uh, you know when you grow old your heart dies I mean there were all these different lines that really captured my attention uh, but that one never really did and suddenly I sat up off of my couch and I thought I'm in an imperfect place my screws have fallen out what am I going uh, to do to kind of get past this am I just going to get up and put those screws back in exactly the way they were uh, or am I going to get a whole new set of screws Put those in, see what happens, or maybe do what I did, which was get a whole new door frame, a whole new door, a whole new set of screws, and walk out of that door to a brand new career, a brand new journey. I just need to figure out what it was. And I felt this, you know, I, I knew 80s pop culture well. I loved 80s pop culture. I'd been in the business world enough to kind of understand it. And I just decided, hey, you know what? The business world, the business world screws fall out all the time as well. And I wrote an article on what the breakfast club teaches us about problem solving. And I put it on LinkedIn and people from all over the world responded. I was shocked. I thought I'm going to write this. And then I'm just going to move on. It'll be, you know, my therapy. And I wrote another one on Ferris Bueller and work-life balance. And suddenly I had something. I thought I had something. So from there, I actually wrote the first book in the series, what 80s pop culture teaches us about today's workplace. I wrote a small book, 80 pages or so. I say for those of us that grew up in the 80s, we knew Spencer's gifts. Uh, you yes. probably went in there at some point. Or you can get
1: like the fart spray and yes. posters of Heather Locklear. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Truly tasteless joke books. Yeah. Uh, so I said that my first one, because it was only 80 pages, uh, it probably would have ended up on the shelf at Spencer's, probably next to truly tasteless jokes, even though it's the content couldn't be more different. Uh, but a kind of a fun, maybe, you know, we're near the holidays now, stocking stuffer kind of um, gift. And, and buddy, for
1: all of you 80s connoisseurs out there, that are looking for that gift for everybody in, on your list. I'm sorry, Chris, carry on.
0: That's okay. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would recommend the second book, which we'll get to. Um, the first one was kind of me learning the process. And uh, I had a buddy who was a graphic designer. He's a really good designer. And we together figured out how to self-publish it on Amazon which is the great equalizer, right? Self-publishing is the great equalizer for all of us that would have no chance at getting one of the big publishers to pay attention to us. Self-publishing is a great equalizer. It's awesome. And so we figured out how to do that. We got that 80-page, little 80-page book out there with some movies and lessons from them. And suddenly people started buying it. At first, it was my friends and family. And then as soon as people started buying it, after any of my friends and family were, were done buying it, I thought, wow, somebody who doesn't know me is buying my book. This is insane. Like I... I I couldn't believe it. I was a little overwhelmed when I started seeing sales come in after my my friends and family, of course. And so I decided I thought maybe I I should make this into something. Uh, There was a, I was 47 years old at the time. I'm 51 now. There in The Outsiders, which we'll talk about. Johnny Cade says, you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. And that's where I was at 47 years old. I wasn't a late 20s or early 30s entrepreneur going out on my own. I was 47. You still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. It is very true for everybody out there. It doesn't matter your age. If you have a passion or an interest, something that takes up your really valuable free time all the time, like maybe see what you can do with it. Go create you, as I say. Like that's a really important lesson that we learned from Johnny Cade. Now, there was also this uh, pop culture icon from the 1840s named Henry David Thoreau. And he said, the mass of men, we'll call it the mass of people, lead lives of quiet desperation. And I was leading a life of quiet desperation. Sure, I was content. Sure, I liked what I did, but I didn't love what I do. Now I love what I do. I built a website, never done that before, positioned myself as a speaker. People started hiring me to speak. I got a small publisher for the second book. I got a speaking agent about six months later. And here I am with you today um, doing this full time, speaking and writing on 80s pop culture and what it teaches us.
1: That sounds like the dream job
0: it is the dream job. I got to tell you, like I'm a very, um, I I kind of, uh, you know, in a lot of situations, I kind of try to blend in a little bit. But when I'm at the uh, airport, and I happen to be sitting next to somebody and they say, so tell me what you do. I can't wait to tell them. Because particularly the the look on their face when I say what I do, they say, how did you get that job? I "I created it. (laughs) I created it. I made it, you know, it's cool.
1: Nice. If you're on a flight with me, uh, that that would be like a snap of a finger, like Thanos. Like That'd be like the quickest flight ever because I would be picking your brain and talking the entire time. So I love it. I'd be doing that's, the same
0: thing. So. That,
1: that is awesome. I'll tell you what, Chris, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, some, give us some life lessons from some of these characters from some of these movies. And um, I, I, we, you guys, Chris and I talked, the other night and just kind of going back and forth and just just hearing his his vision and his passion and everything for 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 the book and the characters and you know we're kind of like kindred spirits so to speak just because you know we speak the same language but uh, we're going to be right back and we're going to talk about some of the characters chris is uh, referencing here thank you for listening to living in the 80s we want to take this opportunity to thank all of those that helped make this possible. First and foremost, we want to thank Anchor for providing this platform for us to share this podcast. We also want to thank Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Tuned In Radio, and about a dozen others. We also want to give a special thank you to Star1079.com and Roundtown Radio, where you can hear this podcast weekly. Also, be sure to check us out at our website at livinginthe80s.us, and of course, on our Facebook page, Living in the 80s. Thanks, and back to the show. Welcome back to Living in the 80s. Chris, so talk to us about... You know, give us some insight into some of these characters that you're talking about is from the book, like lessons that you could teach us along the way. Kind of, sort of, wet everyone's appetite for the book.
0: Sure, I uh, appreciate that. So I will give you a couple of lessons from from each one of the books, and then also uh, one lesson that is going to be in the third book that I'm working on right now. Um, so let's start with um, my whole process behind this was that I believe that some of the best lessons for life in our workplace come from the most unexpected of places. When we're not thinking that we're going to learn something, when our brain isn't wired to learn, walking into a classroom, walking into a training meeting, uh, when we hear something like pop 80s pop culture, the last thing we think is, hey, I'm going to learn something from a movie or, you know, a character or, or a piece of music or a musician. So I'm going to start with somebody who's completely unexpected and I think would be the last person that anybody would think could teach them anything um, beyond maybe figuring out how to make it through high school with a D average, and that would be Jeff Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High.
1: Yes. My my favorite 80s movie, by the way.
0: Uh, It is definitely in my top five for sure. I absolutely love it. It introduced us to some great actors, Forrest Whitaker, um, for one. Uh, obviously, Sean Penn, Phoebe Cates, Jennifer Jason Lee, Judge Reinhold. I mean, the list goes on and on. And a quick story about Fast Times. Actually, you probably you probably know this, being an '80s guy. But uh, you know, Amy Heckerling directed it, who also mm-hmm. directed Clueless, which is kind of in a '90s version of Fast Times. Sure. Uh, they actually so Cameron Crowe wrote it, and he embedded himself in a high school, 24 years old, undercover. Right. So, all yep. the characters in Fast Times are actually based on real characters. And one of them, I, I believe it was the one that's based on Mark Ratner, actually mm-hmm. is the guy who wrote the first um, "Computer for Dummies, Computers for Dummies book or something. Yes,
1: like that. yes.
0: Right? Awesome. Pretty crazy. It's like how all that stuff ties in. Yep. And today's National Checkerboard, uh, National uh, Vans Checkerboard Day. Uh, today is? Today is.
1: Oh, that is, that is cool. Super cool. Perfect
0: day for us to be doing Which
1: this. no one had, like, vans had been around about 15, 20 years before that, yeah. no one had known outside of maybe Southern California surf scene, skateboard scene, what vans were. Today, there's van stores in every shopping mall in America. That's right. <laughs> so I love vans. I mean, I've been, cool. I,
0: my first pair was checkerboard in 1983 or 84. As it should uh, be. As it should be. <laughs> and I never looked back. Uh, and that was because I bought a ticket to ET and I snuck into fast times. I'm pretty sure it was ET. And I snuck <laughs> into fast times. So, uh, so, okay. So back to Jess Coley. Now, um, there's a great scene. Uh, there's a lot of great scenes in the movie, but one of them, you know, the relationship between he and Mr. Hand is a really interesting one. And, uh, I think as adults, we look back and we say, you know what, Mr. Hand was a pretty good teacher as a, as a kid. you'd think, man, this guy is, you know, pain in my butt and he's staying on top of me and he's, you know, he's trying to make me learn. But as adults, I think we look back fondly on Mr. Hand and the way that he wanted his kids to learn. Well, Spicoli had this problem of tardiness, right? He was always late to class and Mr. Hand hated tardiness. And so they have some confrontations. And at one point, uh, Mr. Hand gets fed up with Spicoli and says, Spicoli, why are you always late to my class? Why can't you make it on time? And Spicoli says, I don't know. And Mr. Hand says, I like that. I don't know. And and he, he writes it on gonna, the board, yeah, right, right, exactly. And he's going to leave it up there for all his classes to see, giving Spicoli full credit, which Spicoli thinks is awesome because he's never gotten full credit for anything in any kind of learning <laughs> environment. Uh, but he teaches us something really valuable there. So, my thing about I don't know is how many times have you been asked in the workplace uh, a question and you didn't know the answer? And plenty, multiple times, plenty, yeah. right. And I mean, if there's somebody out there who says never, then, well, in the words of the church lady, isn't that special? Yeah. But, uh...
1: or, or they own the company.
0: <laughs> or they own the company. Yeah. Yeah. But for, for most of us, we've been asked that question. And growing up, and, you know, in the 80s and the 90s and even up until about, you know, 10 years or so ago, and sometimes even today, we were taught that the, saying, I don't know or not knowing the answer was a sign of weakness and vulnerability. What do you mean you don't know the answer to every question about your job? How could you not know it? And so what happened? Before we had, you know, what we'll call the Google machine, before we had these computers in our hands, people could make things up and typically get away with it because there wasn't really a way to check it, uh, at least unless you wanted to go use microfiche in the library or something. Uh, So there wasn't really a way to check it. And I look at I don't know and I say, no, actually saying I don't know is a sign of strength and confidence and character. One thing that we're missing a lot in our world today is honesty and transparency. And when you admit that you don't know, you're being honest and transparent. It is a sign of strength to say that you don't know. Uh, now, I, I and by the way, if you do make something up, people are going to find out. They can just Google it. So if you're a leader, you could lose some credibility with your team pretty quickly. And if you're a team member, you could lose some credibility with the other team members and the leaders by making something up. If you're in a, if you're in a business like yours, if you're, you know, if you're in financial services or pharmaceuticals, you know, imagine making something up. What's the impact of that? on the business and it will
1: you will always, it will, it will eventually catch up to you.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, you have compliance issues and, uh, you know, large ones. So Mm -hmm. I don't know Is a sign of strength, confidence, and character. And I caveat this with saying, but you also want to say, let me get the answer for you. I'll get back to you. You don't want to leave the, I don't know out there hanging out there as Seinfeld said, when, uh, Costanza said, you know, I met this girl and I think I'm going to tell her that I love her. I'm going to say, I love you. And Seinfeld said, well, are you sure about the return? I love you, because if you don't get that, that's a pretty big matzo ball hanging out there. Yes. And I don't know without caveating it. That's a pretty big matzo ball. But don't be afraid to say it. It's okay. It's a sign of on- it's honesty. Transparency and it's a sign of strength and confidence and character. Nice. That's Spicoli. Um, you know, he taught us some other things as well, like make sure when you order lunch, you order enough for everybody. Uh, you know, when he ordered the pizza and he didn't yeah. get a slice. <laughs>
1: He should have got um, two, maybe, maybe three. It's, you know, 20 kids in the class, about eight yeah. slices to a pizza. He should probably right. ordered three. Yeah.
0: yeah. And there's some other lessons from him as well in the book, um, you know, about making your workplace the coolest workplace. And that doesn't mean a ping pong table. You know, we're talking mm-hmm. about the culture itself. Uh, but yeah, the, I don't know, I think is a, is a uh, valuable lesson we learned from Spoli.
1: Give me another one.
0: Okay, great. Uh, happy to. Actually, this one's going to be in the third book. And it's quite possibly my favorite musician of all time, uh, based on where he, he had his hands in everything, composing, writing lyrics for people, writing music, uh, playing tons of instruments, movies, and then, of course, one of the greatest entertainers of all time. And he loved The Color Purple, if that gives anybody an idea.
1: Lionel uh, Richie. Yeah, Lionel no, 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 Richie. You right. got it. The good, great guest. Yes. <laughs> yeah,
0: actually, yeah. It was, no, it was Paul McCartney. Uh, <laughs> Paul
1: <Cartney.
0: laughs> yeah, Prince, uh, our guy Prince, right? So taken from us way too soon and prince in 1987 True. he was the king of music we say that michael jackson was, was the king of pop but prince was the king of music and in 19- hard to argue that.
1: Yeah, Very hard hard to argue, argue. Right?
0: yeah i mean for those of you that don't know he was writing music for the bangles for sinead o'connor nothing compares to you I believe he composed a london symphony orchestra i mean the guy was just insanely brilliant
1: so Built for you by shaka khan that that yeah. that was a that's a prince song
0: yeah and whenever you can have, I think it was Tom Petty and um, Eric Clapton. And I can't remember the other person was on stage with them at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
1: These great Harrison. guitarists. No, no they, they were tributing George Harrison. So it was, um, it was Tom Petty and I don't think it was Eric Clapton. Gosh. I, I can't remember who it was. Anyway, I'm was sorry. Go ahead.
0: I, you know, a couple of great guitarists. And when those guys sit back and watch you playing guitar, which is what they did with Prince on that stage. That tells you how insanely talented he was beyond the things that we all kind of knew about him. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to tell you a great story that you may not know. In 1987, Suzanne Vega, she was an alt singer. I listened to a lot of college radio at the time, so I knew who she was. She had a song called Left of Center that I believe was on the Pretty in Pink soundtrack.
1: Yes, it was. One of the coolest Uh, synth infos and intros ever. Great song. Yes,
0: for sure. And uh, Suzanne Vega had a song in 1987 called My Name is Luca. Uh, I live on the second floor. I live upstairs from you. That's all the singing you're getting from me. Otherwise, people are going to shut this podcast off right now.
1: <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, if you ever listen to some archived episodes, we've had Matt. Matt has sung before, and, and, it, and it's and it's not pretty. Uh, a buddy of mine, Matt Taylor and I, we, we did bird calls one time. So <laughs> you're singing. If we still have an audience after that stuff, you, you can't, we're, we're bulletproof around here. So.
0: Bird calls. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go back and find that one.
1: Yeah. Okay. It, 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 it would be the, the, the eighties country music episode.
0: Okay. Eighties country music. I'm going to go back and
1: find that one. <laughs> you, you really don't want to.
0: <laughs> no, I do. I actually do want to find that one. Um. So... <laughs> so suzanne vega my name is luca now prince hears this song and he's so moved by it that he actually pens a handwritten note to her and the handwritten note said dear suzanne luca's the most compelling piece of music i've heard in a long time there are no words to tell you all the things i feel when i hear it i thank god for you prince
1: oh sweet
0: awesome right and you can see this handwritten note online if you look it up and he's got magical handwriting he's using numbers for words Oh, yeah. Maybe he was a time traveler as well. Just add that to the resume because he was doing that well before anybody else.
1: I'll tell you what, just fun side note here. Uh, this past summer, my buddy Kevin and I, we went to uh, Minneapolis because we wanted to visit one of the last Zantigo restaurants. Zantigo oh, yeah. is, you know, But we part of our trip, we went and toured Prince's home. And there's these handwritten lyrics, like, you know, behind glass and stuff like that. And you're right. Every, everything is like numbers and, and just little, just kind of like his song titles. Like, uh, I would die for number yeah. four letter. U." just, he, he, that's just how he wrote. And it's kind of, in the one hand it's just, it's distracting, but in the other hand, it's like, man's a freaking genius. And I'm just like this close to reading his stuff. So. Anyhow, yeah, I digress. <laughs> he,
0: he was, he was, I, I do it all the time. He was magical um, in so many ways. And so, this handwritten note now, remember, 1987, uh, there's no digital means to get this to Suzanne Vega. He can't email it to her. There has to be some other steps taken. Someone in his entourage, or he himself, if he saw her at a concert or whatever, had to get this handwritten note to her. Now, how do we know about this? In 2016, when he passed away, Suzanne Vega put this handwritten note on social media to let people know the kind of guy he was behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. because even in today's kind of fast media world, Prince was never the kind of guy to go look for the media to say, look what I did. Like he just did these things. And there's probably a host of other things he did behind the scenes as well that we don't know about, Sure, but this is one that we do. And it's a really, for me, I looked at that note and I thought immediately, this teaches us a really valuable lesson about leadership. And what it teaches us is the difference between leaders and rulers. So here's Prince on the biggest stage in the world in 1987. He is mm-hmm. at the top of the game in terms of music. And here's Suzanne Vega, this alt singer that maybe a few people know who really pay attention to music. But he's so right. moved by this song that he sends his hammer note to her. And he teaches us that you know when rulers get the stage of success, they tend to keep everybody below it because mm-hmm. they, they don't want to share it. A lot of times rulers are placed on the stage. They didn't really earn it. They are, they're positioned there. So there's a lack of self-confidence. They're afraid that somebody might be better than them. They don't want to be challenged. A whole host of reasons why leaders share the stage of success. They recognize that other people can be great as well. And that other people are doing great things and they let them know. And that's what he was doing. He was saying, Hey, Hey, greatness. I see you. There's enough room on this stage for you as well this proverbial stage. And uh, and I think that's a really valuable lesson for all of us. When you get that stage of success as a leader, it's incumbent upon you to say, who else out there could share this space with me?
1: Mm-hmm. Because
0: leaders aren't afraid of that. You know, there's a huge difference between confidence and arrogance. I think people who haven't earned their position a lot of times are arrogant. Mm-hmm. And uh, people who have earned it and earned that leadership have confidence. You kind of have to have confidence, of course. In sure. who you are what you do. Sure. Um, but there's a huge difference between arrogance and confidence. Arrogant people question others. Confident people question themselves is what I like to say. And yeah. um, and that's what leaders do. And so he, anyway, he, he shared the stage with her. And the other thing he taught us that's really important for all of us, regardless of whether it's the workplace or life, is that encouragement doesn't cost a thing. He, he took a couple seconds out of his day to write this handwritten note to her mm-hmm. and get it delivered to her. Didn't cost a thing. Encouragement doesn't cost a thing. There is somebody in your life today that needs a little bit of encouragement, and it doesn't cost you a thing to do it.
1: The best leaders that I'm around, and, and you know what, and that's the thing: people that that are good leaders want to associate and surround themselves with other people that will that that are good leaders, and then also bring them up. And I tell you what: the, the my favorite people, uh, you know, I'm thinking workplace, I'm thinking. Um, uh, I'm very, you know, very active in my church. So people in ministry, uh, all kinds of people. The ones that I enjoy are the ones that that pull others up around them, and it is a breath of fresh air. And you know what? It, you just I, there, there's a certain joy that you have in giving back, in leading, or even if there's people, uh, you know, or you know, people that are, um in leadership over you, you know, people that, you know, that you report to uh, there's also such thing as leading up. So you can, from a, a lower space propel this, you know, these other people and just use your influence to, to encourage and lift others up. So, yeah, I, I could. Yeah, that's cool. You say that about Prince, cause that is, that that's very consistent with a lot of things I had heard about him, things he would do anonymously. Uh, financial gifts that he would give un, under, you know, like his foundations and stuff that that were not that were not um, that that he took zero. Like people would never know that it was him that did it. Yeah. And to me, that I mean, that's super encouraging. And and so here's another cool thing. Well, back when we we toured his house, uh, you know, we got to go through just different things, like not like this bedroom and bathroom and stuff like that, but you know, different like his studio being in Prince's recording studio was just amazing. Like these homemade um, uh, like amps and different mixing boards to get certain sounds that he wanted, that he would just kind of create himself. But probably the coolest thing for me is there was a, there was a, a kitchen that he had there and Prince would like when he had guests over, Apparently, his thing was making waffles. he would make waffles for people, and he was very proud of his waffles <laughs> and <laughs> I would love to have a prince waffle that would be great oh, yeah. but but uh, what he would do is like he had like this this uh like not an arena but a, a like a ballroom type place with a full stage and sound and sound boards and stuff like that and he would have people come in like uh, you know celebrities or up-and-coming artists he would have them come to his house like and they would be playing to like three or four in the morning and you know he would kind of let word leak out to you know to you know hey bring this crowd of people in this night only so if you got kind of invited to a prince gig there might be 250 people there but there's prince jamming with this young person that no one's heard of and next thing you know he's helped propel them into uh, in, into a career, so I, I tell you what, that that that's amazing. That that's thank you for bringing him up. That was, that was oh lovely. yeah,
0: absolutely. If I would have gotten a waffle made by Prince, I would have put it in my pocket and taken home and framed it.
1: And you get almost see Prince going, really? You just put the waffle in your pocket?
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I did one hundred percent. No question about it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I did. Yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, anything else on anything else on Prince? There,
0: no, not on that Prince. But I have one on another. Prince. You got
1: another Prince? Do tell.
0: Yeah. Okay. So um, this Prince, uh, actually, I would say this is. Um, I think for me, it's almost the perfect comedy. Uh, the the original, not the sequel. And uh, I'll give you like kind of a hint. We'll play a little Jeopardy here, and the Jeopardy question would be. The title of this 1988 Eddie Murphy film is also the title of a song by Neil Diamond.
1: What is coming to America?
0: Yes, yes,
1: great yes. movie, and yes, the sequel is not nearly as good as the original, but no, you still I have mean, you still have to watch it. <laughs> but it's it's just I'm, I'm, it I'm glad it was free. I'm glad it was free on Prime instead of having to pay money for it.
0: That's right. It was a struggle for me, but I hey. They didn't forget to bring Randy Watson back, and that's you know, oh, Randy yeah. Watson was in at towards the end, and that made it for me uh, I'll tell
1: you what I liked. I liked the part where where his uh where it was his was his daughter and 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 the the guy anyhow they're walking through the garden, and they have this this little conversation about why movies should never be you should never do sequels years later and why it 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 does not have nearly the charm of the first one I'm cracking up going. Yeah. You guys nailed that one. All right.
0: (laughs) I think, I think they, I think they knew they had, you know, some great nostalgia clearly in that movie. Oh yeah. I'm always glad to see eighties movies um, talking about that for a second. I'm always glad to see that. I'm glad to see now eighties movies are doing sequels with uh, the same actors and actresses because these, these reboots where we take, somebody uh who is a really good actor actress in their own right but then we try to put them replace the character that was so iconic and so classic from the 80s you just can't do that i mean i get upset when they remake patrick swayze movies for example really upset um and we'll talk about that in a minute but i also uh i also like for example i love Footloose. Footloose. Oh
1: yeah. my goodness. I had to watch it because you know I'm an 80s kid and, and whatever and it wasn't terrible but I, I it was still that that's not it's not that's not Ren McCormick.
0: Well Red Dawn you know I mean come on and then awesome. I mean but the one that got, gets me is like I love Ed Helms. I really mm-hmm. enjoy Ed Helms as an actor.
1: Oh my gosh on The Office and just about every The Hangover yeah good stuff.
0: Everything he's fantastic. Yep but he's not clark
1: griswold
0: no chevy chase is clark griswold he's not rusty
1: and, griswold yeah either.
0: he was rusty okay he yeah. was rusty but he was he's, supposed to take the he was supposed to take the i mean he was supposed to kind of be clark you know just right. rusty grown up he's still clark essentially but nobody he's, else going be the
1: clark character
0: yeah the clark character how about that yeah. that's a better way to say it yeah and um so you know i i see these things and i think I'm so glad to see the Beverly Hills cop four that's going to be produced by Netflix is actually, you know, Eddie Murphy is Axel Foley. You know, I, I, you know, a guy like Kevin Hart, I love Kevin Hart. You know, I'm, they, maybe they would have cast him as Axel Foley. It just wouldn't have worked for me even mm. as much as I enjoy him uh, because it's Eddie Murphy. He's Axel Foley. Yes. Uh, so I was glad to see anyway, that the sequels are now their sequels and not remakes back to Prince Akeem and the, and sorry, Prince Akeem and coming to America.
1: Well, before we go there, before we go there, let's address the elephant in the room, okay? Okay. You're wearing a Cobra Kai shirt. Yes. So speaking of movies where, or TV shows or whatever, where they have taken these characters and moved forward, um, yay or nay on Cobra Kai? Love it. I love
0: it. I absolutely love it. I think it's just the right amount of like eighties cheesy with, you know, some modern day themes. Uh, and when I say cheesy, I say that with all the, um, uh, all the reverence, all the reverence <laughs> in the world because it does, yeah. it does in some ways sometimes have that after school kind of feel, but, yeah. but it's by design. It was by design. And for two other reasons, I love it. Number one, I'm really pleased. I'm re- it's really awesome to see William Zabka getting another bite at the apple because i think he's a pretty good actor he is typecast as a bully in the 80s like the always oh, the best bully but you know yeah. he was, he's a good actor i'm really i'm really glad to see him get another bite at the apple and, and to take advantage of it
1: yes absolutely i tell you what episode one where he gets into the into the uh into the camaro or the firebird or whatever was it poison he put in i'm yes. like oh my gosh i'm hooked I was completely yeah. hooked at that point. <laughs> so it, it took me. Fantastic. It took me probably. Uh, it probably took me a year to watch it when it was on YouTube TV before it hit Netflix. Um, I had heard about it, but then finally I'm like, "Well, let me give this thing a shot." Oh my gosh! And then, and then when it came on Netflix, they're acting like this is this new thing. I'm like, "These this is two years old." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I was I'm just kind of happy I got in on it early. Anyway, it's it's, oh, sorry.
0: it's fantastic. They've done a great job with it. The other reason I love it is because it actually, I think what it did was it showed the industry that taking these characters, keeping the same people, and then showing them what, showing people what they're doing today, mm-hmm. I think it is the reason why we saw the Coming to America sequel instead of the Coming to America remake. I think it's right. why we're seeing the Top Gun sequel instead of a Top Gun remake with these yeah. same guys. Cobra Kai showed you could do that, and now everybody's on board. Yeah. And uh, and that's what I love about it because well, I do the, want to
1: see Yeah. This. Well, the, 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 Ghostbusters afterlife comes out this weekend. Yeah. So that's another good example. We're having some of the same characters are going to still be making an appearance. Not, not quite, you know, part of the storyline like Cobra Kai, I don't think, but they're at least are going to be in it and that's going to be cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. So, I, I mean, I, I love it and I want to see more of it. I hope that they take some of these movies from the eighties that, that could actually, you know, go on to be a series uh and really make them, you know, with the same people. Oh yeah. So um coming to America, you know, classic, I think just a, a almost perfect comedy. Uh almost perfect comedy. And yeah. um and so uh for those of you that don't know, you know, Prince Akeem played by Eddie Murphy and his best friend Semi played by Arsenio Hall. Uh Prince Akeem is, you know, the the prince in his country of Zamunda. He is the heir to the throne. And uh, of course because of that, they're trying to set him up on an arranged marriage. He really wants to meet somebody who likes him or loves him for him. And he wants them to be independent and be their own person. And we see this in the, one of the first scenes where he's, you know, with a, they've set him up with a girl and he says, well, I want to know about you. What do you like? Whatever you like, what kind of music do you like? Whatever music you like, what kind of food do you like? Whatever food you like. And he just, this isn't working for him. And so he decides he wants to find his queen on his own. And he thinks what better place to go than Queens, New York, which we could argue, of course. But um, <laughs> no offense to those of you who live in Queens, uh, but Queens, you know, back in the late 80s, um, very different, I think, in terms of uh, um, his ability to find his queen. Um, so he gets there. And uh, of course, they realize pretty quickly that they have to get rid of all the royal Guard so They don't stand out. And he gets a very humble, modest, to say the least, apartment. Mm -hmm. And he takes a job, uh, an entry-level job at a fast food restaurant, McDowell's. Not
1: McDonald's.
0: McDowell's, right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. McDowell's. They got got
1: uh, the two arches.
0: They have the two arches. Yes. (laughs) And he takes this entry-level job, um, sweeping the floors and taking the garbage out. And he says this throwaway line. Which is not one of the lines, again, that most people would quote from the movie. And he says, when you think of garbage, think of Akeem. That's what he says. When you think of garbage, think of Akeem. A line that just could kind of go by you in the movie, but it really does tell us something. Think about this this prince who is the heir to the throne in the country of Zamunda, who could just have the easiest life ever, but that's not what he wants. He actually strips himself down uh to this entry-level job tells no one that he's a prince works hard modestly again think of garbage think of keen. he's excited to be sweeping the floors he does it with a smile uh when i speak to conferences and events i show a slide of, of him you know with his with his mcdowell's uniform on and the broom or the mop and he's got this big smile the same smile he has when he's dressed as the prince and so um, what we learned from, from this is that unearned leadership creates pleasers and earned leadership creates believers. So when he was the prince in the country of Zamunda, he didn't earn that. He was born into it. He was just, it was basically given to him. And everybody around him wanted to please him. They don't know how to react around him. He doesn't know how to act as a leader. It's, we talked about this earlier with you know, leaders and rulers on the stage. But unearned leadership creates pleasers. We we hear like, yes, people, yes, men, and yes, women. And a lot of times this happens around people who have not earned their position. Earned leadership creates believers. If I can see that path that you've taken to become a leader, I will follow you. Most people will. They can see that path. You've earned credibility as a leader. because Oh, I see that you did this, this, and this. And now I believe. And not only do I believe, but this is a really important lesson with employee retention Too often in organizations, we see people who are just kind of given these positions. They don't earn them for different reasons. And of course, they wonder why their culture struggles. Why is my workplace culture struggling? Well, I don't know. Maybe because you're putting people in a position who haven't really earned it. And what happens is that people who come into the business say, OK, well, all these leaders up here, nobody's really earned it. So how am I actually going to get to that position? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I'll be able to. I start looking for alternatives, other organizations who may give me that path. If I can see that the leaders have earned their position, that creates employee retention. Because now I look at the organization, I say, I can see the opportunity here. I can see the path and I can follow that person's path and get to where they're going. So that's a really important lesson. Under leadership creates pleasers, earned leadership creates believers.
1: Nice. Nice. Um, You mentioned the outsiders earlier.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: What can we learn from the outsiders?
0: a lot about from the outsiders. And this is going to drive us into a couple of conversations here, Rob, one sure. of which we talked about that you were absolutely shocked and stunned by that everybody yes. is. Um so, the outsiders, uh written by S.E. Hinton when she was 16 in the late 60s, um incredible book, made into a movie in
1: 1983. You see, Debbie, S.E. Hinton was a girl writing this movie. Why did it take you 40 years to watch it? Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. That's
0: Susan <laughs> Eloise Hinton, S C e. Hinton. And uh, so she writes this phenomenal book. It becomes a movie in 1983. And of course, it kicks off the careers of um, some massive, massive actors in terms of their resumes. Uh, sure, we're talking sure. about you know Emilio Estevez and Matt Dillon and Tom Cruise and Rob Lowe and uh, C. Thomas Howe, Ralph Macchio. And of course, my man crush, Patrick Swayze. I love Patrick Swayze. My dog, my rescue, who is at my feet right now is uh, named Bodie after Patrick Swayze's character in Point Break. Not an 80s movie, but a great one nonetheless. Yes. Uh, yeah. Patrick Swayze. So we, we're introduced to all of these guys.
1: Yeah.
0: Were you going to say something?
1: <laughs> oh, no. Well, I was wondering why you left out my favorite character of the movie. A girl that I actually dated for a no. short time back in the 80s.
0: Get out of here. Yeah. Diane Lane?
1: You got it. Yes.
0: You dated Diane Lane? Yes.
1: Yes, I did. Wow. That's... Actually, I did not. But okay. a, a lot of times when, when you bring up my girl crushes, I'll, I'll say things like <laughs> Leah Thompson. Like, yeah, I dated her for a while. Yeah. Uh, I dated Phoebe Cates and yes, she, she was a very good kisser. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> you listen to the podcast. I'll talk about girls. I dated all the time. They're not aware like Elizabeth shoe. We dated for years, but she, she has no idea. Yeah. So, no, no idea. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: That's okay. My, 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 uh, my crush in the eighties was uh, Jamie Gertz in the lost boys.
1: Oh my goodness. She was hot. The lost boys.
0: I mean, star. I mean, she
1: was, she was beautiful anyway, but in the lost yeah. boys. I think she was at her prime hotness.
0: I mean, just, yeah. And just a cool character. Like the character itself yeah. just has had this really cool kind of shit. It's like kind of gypsy presence. It was a really cool, mm-hmm. cool character. Um, so uh, back to The Outsiders. Now, the movie comes out in 1983. So a couple pieces of trivia here before we jump in. Uh, number one, for those of you that don't know, uh, The Outsiders was filmed in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And there was a house there that the greasers lived in and they filmed in that house. There's a guy whose name is Danny Boy O'Connor. And if those of you that are around the music around music and really know music, you know, that name, particularly if you're in Wisconsin, and that is Danny Boy O'Connor was one part of the, uh, the hip hop group house of pain.
1: I'll jump and around, had- jump around. Yeah. That's it.
0: And he grew up loving the outsiders, love the book, love the movie uh, and moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma because of the fact that he had seen that the, he saw that the house in the outs that was used in the movie, the outsiders is in disarray, fallen apart. And he felt like this is a historical monument that needs to be protected. It needs to be saved. It needs to be restored. And that's exactly what he did. He made it his mission to restore the outsider's house, which he has done. It is now a pop culture museum, uh, obviously dedicated to the outsider's book, muse- uh, movie history which you can visit in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And if you're really lucky, you may catch C. Thomas Howe playing the guitar there and singing, which he just did a little while ago. You could run into somebody like Leonardo DiCaprio, who was there the other day. Uh, So this is a really cool, this shows you that pop culture across decades can work together. So you got Danny Danny Boy O'Connor from the 90s, the movie, The Outsiders from the 80s, and the guys that played the characters showing up at the house, and S.E. Hinton from the 60s, all coming together because she's at the house often as well so really cool little trivia there with the outsider's house museum if you want to check it out Um, back to the movie yes so patrick swayze i had said was my man crush i love everything he does i named my dog after one of his characters but there is one movie that of patrick swayze that i have not seen if you can kind of guess what that is
1: um (laughs) next of kin
0: i have seen next of kin
1: (laughs) Point break.
0: Uh well, Bodie right here in my feet. Of course I yeah, point <laughs> break. Yeah.
1: No, I'm I I'm teasing. You know, you actually he, know. he yeah. has never seen dirty dancing. So him and Jim Lawler are the only two people I know that were live in the 80s that have never seen dirty dancing. Yeah.
0: And if what the, the heck, effect.
1: dude, what the heck?
0: <laughs> if the you classic. on the keyboard now, it's like, <gasps> you know, audible gas from the crowd. Uh, I have not seen dirty dancing.
1: Well, I do have a good why reason. Why in the world have you not seen Dirty Dancing?
0: I have a very good reason, I think, anyway.
1: Uh, Please so,
0: Okay. I graduated high school in 1988. Our senior prom theme was, now, I had the time of my life.
1: Which, from, of course, was probably every prom theme across America. Yeah, yes.
0: From Dirty Dancing. I wanted Home Sweet Home Motley Crue. Uh, better not, song. Yeah, better song. <laughs> Did not win the vote. Uh, So everything about our prom was now I had the time of my life. The glassware, the favors. And of course, they played the song maybe 120 times that night. uh, Along with maybe sprinkling and she's like the wind a couple of times. Um, So (laughs) so, uh, now I had the time of my life. And I heard it so many times. that I just I could not bear to see the movie after that. I hadn't seen it before that. And I just, I I still to this day have night terrors about that song. I will wake up in night sweats with that song I, going in my head.
1: I do too, but but, in spite of that, it's a good movie.
0: <laughs> I can't, I just can't do it. I even watched the, the, the movies, I think it was the movies that made us, or one of them did Dirty Dancing. I watched the behind the scenes. Uh-huh but I can't, because I know the song is coming on and people say, oh, well, just mute it. I'm like, yeah, but it's not the, if I mute it, I still know the song is happening and I already have enough trouble. It's
1: not until the end. It's the very end of the movie.
0: I just, I can't, I can't do it. So yes. You know
1: what? Here's the thing, Chris, we have got some very avid, passionate listeners. So some, one of these guys are going to, you're going to walk out of your house one day in Florida. Somebody's going to come out there. They're going to completely do a cousin Eddie on you, tie you up bring yeah. it into your house, put in. they'll, they'll take the VHS, they'll put the VHS in and they'll make you watch it. That's going to happen. Gary. <laughs>
0: <You guarantee laughs> and I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up the uh, cousin Eddie because there's a great lesson in, from Christmas vacation about knowing your audience uh, that, you know, Clark uh, did not realize when he was going on his rant and saying he wanted his boss brought from his holiday slumber on melody lane with all the other rich people. He didn't realize somebody was actually going to go do that. There's a great lesson about know your audience when you're, when you're speaking to people. So, um, but I will have a shirt that says, I might get a shirt that says I actually did put baby in the corner (laughs) because I haven't seen it. So
1: baby in the corner. Check.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the outsiders uh, teaches us a lot. I mentioned earlier that you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. Uh, which is a really important lesson about going to create you that we all have this little bit of free time. Uh, it, it's not a lot for most of us. And if you find it being you know, captured by the same thing over and over again, some passion or interest that continues to take up that really valuable free time, maybe see what you can do with it. I mean, that's what I did. You know, I, I loved eighties movies, eighties pop culture. It took up a lot of my free time and you know, that kind of uh, screws filed all the time. The world's an imperfect place was the light bulb of course, but the reality is like all along, I was using my free time with 80s consumed with 80s pop culture and I made something out of it. Cool. Uh, and I'm just a big knucklehead. So anybody can do it. You know, if hey,
1: you, if anyway. <laughs> this nerd decided to do a podcast. So I feel your yeah. pain, brother.
0: Right. And I love to say fair shirt, sure, by the way. I didn't say that before. Thanks. Um,
1: <laughs> my daughter got this for me. Like great. She knows me love well.
0: It. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, so, yeah. So there's a lot of lessons from the outsiders. This You still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. The other one is a great uh, scene. We were talking about Diane Lane earlier who played Cherry, right? And um, right. Cherry Valance. And there's Ponyboy and Cherry Valance. And there's this kind of um, this, you know, these interactions with them that kind of start some of the greaser, uh disagreements. Mm-hmm. And he at one point is on the porch of his house and he recognizes that he's on, the, you know, the quote unquote wrong side of the tracks. Um, but he's on the porch of his house and he's watching the sunset. And he says, you know, um, I don't have the exact words, which is which
1: is mind. beautiful cinematography, by the way, that sunset is yeah. absolutely beautiful.
0: Yeah. And so he says, you know, what he basically says is that she's seen that sunset from her porch or her balcony. I'm seeing it from mine, completely different worlds. But we see the same sunset. We're seeing the same sunset. He says maybe our two worlds weren't so different. We see the same sunset. Nice. And that's a really valuable leadership lesson, and also, by the way, life lesson for those who are lucky and blessed enough to live on the quote-unquote right side of the tracks. When we talk about the right and wrong side, or to just be lucky and blessed enough to have the life that that you desired, and you're able to provide that to your family versus somebody who's trying to get to that point and maybe had a few more obstacles in the way than you did. Um, this idea that we all see the same sunset is a really important reminder.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For all of us, that we are really all in this together, and that there are some similarities between all of us that run through all of us, and that's just society as a whole. But then when we talk about leadership, remembering if you're in the C-suite, if you're a VP, uh, remembering that that person who comes in at night to clean the office, or maybe the person who makes the food in your office, if you're lucky enough to have something like that, that person you see the same sunset as them. They see the same sunset as you. It's a very it's a very good reminder to be humble. Uh, we talk about how, you know, people talk about how when people pass away, everybody kind of, you know, depending on what you do, whether you, you're ashes to ashes or you're going ground, we're all in the same kind of situation at that point. Um, but this is the reality of when we're living that we all do see the same sunset. And it's a reminder to everyone, particularly leaders, uh, people that run businesses, people that are you know blessed enough to be in the C- C-suite, that that person who is there when you're not there, who's doing a job as well, sees the same sunset as you. I love the Outsiders. There's plenty of other lessons from that movie as well. It is actually the reason it's the first chapter in my uh, my second book, and it's part of the reason that Danny Boy Danny Boy O'Connor and I connected. Somebody got him my book uh, because of the Outsiders chapter, and so we were able to connect uh, in that way, which was a really, really cool for me. Cause I grew up enjoying his music as well as, um, you know, having an affinity for the outsiders.
1: Cool. Yeah. So you had mentioned before, um, the breakfast club. Yeah. Um, definitely one of my favorite eighties movies. Um, tell us what we can learn out of the breakfast club.
0: Mm. So if you do end up picking up one of my books, a little plug there, but if you do end up picking up one of my books, the first book has the Breakfast Club, but I did not do it um, justice. As mm-hmm. I mentioned before, I wrote this book. I didn't know. I didn't really think anybody would buy it, to be honest with you. And mm-hmm. uh, so I got my my feet under me with the second book, and now with the third book, I'm actually doing the chapter. I'm actually redoing the Breakfast Club chapter for my third book because it deserves so much more than I gave it in the first one. Okay. Uh, so we talk about the screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. Another one is about. Um, kind of like the, the masks that we wear um, mm-hmm. in life and in the workplace. And there's a great line by Andrew in the Breakfast Club when he says that uh, we're all a little bizarre. Some of us are just better at hiding it. That's all. Yeah. And that is just the truth, right? I mean, I think as you get older, as we get older and we realize like we all have our little quirks, we all have our little things that make us human, that make us individuals, and we all are a little bizarre, and that's perfectly fine. In fact, mm-hmm. it's good to be a little bit bizarre. Uh, I think too often we, you know, we see in organizations everybody kind of gets in line. Remember the old IBM thing where they all wore like the what was it, like the white shirt and the blue tie? Or my, maybe I'm getting that wrong. But everybody had the same kind of um, uniform that they had to wear to work, and uh, mm-hmm. and it kind of makes everybody think the same and act the same. And mm-hmm. I'm not so sure that that's a good thing for an organization. Right. You want people that are going to think differently. You want people yeah. that are going to challenge uh, the status quo.
1: You want a diverse workplace.
0: You want a diverse Absolutely. workplace. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, some, of the, to- some of the best creativity comes when you've got people from different backgrounds with different interests and different uh, different gifts and talents as part of your group. If not, you're just going to be like a cookie cutter assembly line and, you know
0: hundred percent. And that's not where innovation comes from. Innovation doesn't come from everybody kind of thinking the same and acting the same. And it's just, that's not where it comes from. And so encourage that, encourage people to be who they really are. Sure. Whether it work and allow the flexibility to do that, allow people the flexibility to be a little bit different. If somebody comes in and they've colored their hair purple on a Tuesday because they decided to do it. So what? Like just, yeah. I mean, encourage that kind of stuff. That person right there is probably the person you want to go to when you are having a problem that you need to solve. And you guys have just kept putting the same square peg in a round hole over and over and over again. And you're thinking, why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? Because we're asking the same group of people. This is another lesson of um, actually that kind of drives us from kind of ties to Breakfast Club and the Lost Boys about the idea of problem solvers not coming in a one size fits all package. Right. And that was what we learned from the Frog Brothers and the Lost right. Boys. because. I mean looking at them they' they're, they're really going to save the world they're really going to save their town these two kids that work in a comic book store 140 pounds but well, you know white.
1: what C- Corey Feldman had already gone through this with goonies so he was he was prepared and ready that's he, was, right. he was ready
0: <laughs> he, and he I, actually did he he went through it with standby me before that as well
1: that's true that's true yeah
0: yeah, yeah. so he was well prepared for the apocalypse
1: um, <laughs> and if you heard him singing today it sounds like he's trying to usher in the apocalypse cuz it's terrible. That's <laughs> have, have you seen any of the videos of of him and his band? I haven't. It, just just go to YouTube. I think he okay. was on like the Today show or something like that a couple years ago. It's like what? It sounds like Yoko Ono on crack or something. It is terrible. It's awful. <laughs> oh, bad. In fact, him and Yoko should get together and make some music together because it's it's beyond purple hair. You know, it's 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 not good. It's not good.
0: Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I actually was lucky enough to moderate a Goonies reunion panel back in 2019 with Sean really? Astin and Corey Feldman. So, no yeah, kidding. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, good thing you didn't bring cool. up his music. It might be sensitive to him.
0: I didn't bring up his music. That's I didn't funny. even know about it then. So I was just, you know, focused on all the cool movies that those guys did in the 80s. Nice. Um,
1: and they, both of those two did a lot of cool movies.
0: Yeah, they've done a lot of cool movies. They have a good resume. They have a great yes. resume. Very good. And so, you know, we, we think about like uh, the Breakfast Club, the the idea of, you know, we're all a little bizarre. Some of us are just better at hiding it. And then, you know, the Lost Boys problem solvers don't come in a one size fits all package. That's really the same lesson coming at it from a different, a different perspective, maybe a different way with different words. But the reality being that, um yes it's it's okay to be bizarre it's actually fine everybody's bizarre in some way shape or form we all have a little bit of it in us and we've been taught to kind of like remove it when we go into the workplace and i just feel like Mm -hmm. i don't i just don't think that's where innovation and creativity come from i don't think that's how you move your business forward
1: agreed agreed now i i told you i was going to throw you a curve so i'm bringing up a character from a movie tell me what i could learn. From Jed and Red Dawn.
0: Well, beyond the fact that you should, you know, picking a really cool brand name for your organization can go a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, you know, one Wolverines. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's just like, that's just a great brand name. Uh, I would and say unless
1: you're from Columbus, Ohio.
0: Well, okay. Yes.
1: Yeah, right. Would okay, sure. But.
0: Um, but let's just take it in the context <laughs> of spray painting Wolverines uh, on the rocks and yelling yes, when you've yes. overtaken a large army. Um, so Fourth I think biases
1: we, uh, aside, that was, that was pretty cool.
0: I think what he teaches us is something similar to what Axel Foley teaches us in Beverly Hills Cop when everything's taken away from him. And that is that your, your best resource is you. And mm-hmm. this is a really important lesson for smaller organizations that sometimes being smaller is better because mm-hmm. if you look at the Wolverines, the Jed led Wolverines, they, what were they? They were flexible. They were mm-hmm. nimble. They were innovative, creative. They had to be because they, they could not take down the power that was the Cuban army. Mm-hmm. They couldn't take the Cuban military, I should say. They couldn't take them down. They were way too powerful. They had way too many weapons, way too many people. So they had to be smart, nimble, flexible, creative, clever, innovative, whatever you want to call it. They had to have this whole toolbox of things that weren't tangible, so yeah, they got their hands on weapons, right? I mean, mm-hmm. of course they had to have weapons to be able to defend themselves and defend the country, but the rest of what they did was really this internal toolkit. These were all things that they pulled out of themselves. Mm-hmm. And that is a really valuable lesson for these small, for small businesses that you're like, you know, you're the, uh, sometimes you feel like the rowboat and you've got the super yachts and the tankers around you. And you're thinking, how, how, how the heck am I going to survive? Well, those super yachts and robo are those super yachts and, and tankers at one point were a rowboat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know when you think about the the business I mean a lot of the biggest businesses in the world they you know they didn't start with 10,000 people they didn't start global yeah, started Apple, a
1: couple, Apple started in the garage
0: yeah I mean a couple people decided, had an idea yeah uh, so that I think is a really valuable lesson that Jed teaches us um, that you know this, when you're smaller sometimes it's better and that you can actually win even as a smaller organization. It just takes reaching inside of yourself and the people that you're building that organization with and, and using that internal toolkit that all of you have, those resources internally that you all have.
1: Nicely done, sir. Nicely done. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, we're going to take one more break here. When okay. we come back, we're going to do like a little um, rapid fire with Chris about uh, uh, his, his pop culture um, interests. So, Hang tight. We'll be right back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices All right, Chris. We are going to talk right now. I want to ask you some questions, uh, some of your favorites, and um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna fire them away. You just first thing comes to your mind, okay? Great. Uh, Your favorite store that you shopped at in the '80s that no longer exists.
0: Uh, that would have to be Wave Dancer Surf Shop. It was a local surf shop on the East Coast. And because I worked there, one of my first jobs was uh, repairing and building skateboards there.
1: That sounds like a cool job. So that, that makes a lot of sense with you being a big fan of Vans. So yes. That totally. kind of works have, hand in hand.
0: I have a longboard now that my, uh, my pit mix Bodhi actually pulls me around on in my neighborhood.
1: Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um. Favorite restaurant from the 80s that no longer exists? Hmm.
0: I gotta think about that one. Because a lot it, of them still actually do exist.
1: Yeah, I mean, it could be, it could be a local diner or a pizza place or just some place we don't... You could even make yeah, something so up. We wouldn't know.
0: <laughs> I don't know if these are still around in the Midwest, maybe, but Friendly's?
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, I remember friendlies. I know yeah. there used to be one... Uh, a couple here in Columbus. I don't. I don't think they they're here anymore. But I do. I do think there are some locations around. It'd be. It'd be. They'd be hard to find. So
0: yeah, Friendlies was the huge. That was the place to go to in my, in my little neighborhood.
1: Nice. Um, favorite TV show of the '80s.
0: Magnum PI.
1: Magnum PI. Um, it. give us your top five favorite. 80s movies wow five ish you know you give me four six or whatever we like to tease Uh, around here mount rushmore is at least five or six
0: okay so i'm gonna go how about if we do this i'm gonna go a little bit different because i'm not gonna go with the standards the breakfast club ferris bueller those i'm gonna go a little bit different here and maybe some of these movies some people haven't seen and i would encourage you to see them okay that's cool
1: Love it. So I'll do my
0: top five that maybe uh, we won't call maybe underrated or whatever, but okay. uh, Vision Quest
1: would be Mm, one. Love it. Love it.
0: Uh, Three o'clock high. Never seen it. Oh man.
1: I'm writing it it down. Put it on
0: the list. The best bully in I think in movie history, but certainly in the '80s, Um, and a great great little story. Uh, So yeah, three o'clock high, Uh, Vision Quest. Um, let's go with uh going through my the whole library in my head right now of all the movies that I just absolutely adore from the 80s and love. There's uh, so ca- Caddyshack,
1: Caddyshack. Would you uh, call that one an underrated one though?
0: Not, no, I wouldn't call it underrated, no,
1: just, no, a, just not, a favorite.
0: No, I would not call it underrated at all. Sure, yeah. um. I will say that the only reason I would say that this is one of my favorites is because the ending is the most is the realest ending you could ever have okay. for a movie, and it's the last American version.
1: Oh yes, yes. We we did it. we did a a podcast recently on eighties movie bullies, and um, uh, with, with Diane Franklin's character's name was.
0: I should know this because she wrote the foreword for my second book, <laughs> and I can't
1: remember. Yeah, we, yeah Karen, Karen, Karen. Her name was Karen. Yeah, Karen and Ga- no, Gary was the good guy. What was it? Rick? Yeah, right. Karen and Rick. Yeah, we considered one of the top movie bully duos of ever. They 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 just kicked Gary around. Like, well, you wait like until you.
0: <laughs> Wait until you watch Three O'clock High. You're gonna to want to redo that episode. I guarantee it. Really? Oh, yes.
1: See, now you got me excited. I'm gonna have to watch. I'm to have to find it this weekend and watch it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, wow. I'm gonna to have to throw again. Um, maybe this is more popular than an underrated, but better off dead. Love it. For sure. Uh, that's yes. that's. I love that movie. i will Speaking watch of
1: it. Diane Franklin, Monique.
0: Yes. Monique.
1: My, you know, one of one of my fa- one of my favorite like parts I quote all of the all of the time probably once once a a month at least is French fries French bread French too. dressing French, French toast dressing. like yeah. my wife just looks at me like I got three heads like really <laughs> that never gets old
0: <laughs> yes yeah that's it's a classic it's a, it's a great. And it's it's a it's a great kind of dark comedy. Um, yeah. I'm going to go with uh, two more here, and you'll probably notice that I'm not going the action adventure or like kind of military route because I love a lot of those movies too. I mean i watch I'll watch an old school old school Chuck Norris movie any day. Of course, um, I love the Rambo franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, any Arnold Schwarzenegger Commando, all of those were fantastic movies. Oh yeah, um, but they were just. I mean, besides Rambo, that was like Rambo is kind of a little bit deeper than some of the other ones. Right. Um, but they were just kind of fun, like, you know, really enjoyed. I'm thinking about movies that had an impact on me as a kid. And I look back and I think that there were things that I could relate to um, in those movies. So Say Anything.
1: Say Anything was great. Love that movie.
0: Um, the Heathers. Hmm. Really dark. Yes. Um, really dark.
1: I love Christian Slater's character in Heathers
0: fantastic
1: which Absolutely. i also i also love his character and pump up the volume which is a 90s movie yeah. barely but uh it's <laughs> he just he i i'm just kind of surprised he's one of those people that i thought would have a, a much more stellar career like down the road like 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 he would be like kind of seen the way maybe Chris or uh, leonardo dicaprio is now so you know he I agree. took a different turn. He still put in some great roles, but not that notoriety.
0: No, I yeah. agree with you, hundred percent. Gleaming the cube was another good one. Oh,
1: yep, uh, absolutely. <laughs> love that movie. Yeah.
0: And then I'm going to throw in one that I heard they're now actually remaking, and um maybe they'll get it right. I hear that they've got the right people around it, so remains to be seen. Um, but the original Highlander.
1: Really. Yeah, hmm. who do the they original have in? Highlander? You know what's that? You know who they have in it?
0: I don't know. They, in the remake, I can't remember. Oh, it's you know who it is. I think it's the guy that played uh, Shazam.
1: Oh yeah, um, shoot, he played in Chuck too, Zachary yeah. Zachary Levi. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think I like it's in.
1: Yeah, like he's him. good. He's good.
0: Um, high, the original Highlander though, because of the movie number one, which I think is great, and the soundtrack that's something that we don't talk enough about with 80s movies that bands the best bands in the world wanted to be on movie soundtracks and oh yeah you look back and you look at the soundtracks i mean highlander was all queen all freddie mercury the entire mm-hmm. soundtrack yep. that never happens i mean that's <laughs> you know um highlander highlander for me just a really really kind of fun fantasy movie very very well done and um hasn't been able to be replicated i'll throw one more out there Uh, that is a Michael Mann movie, and uh, you know, he did he was doing Miami Vice at the time, so there's a lot of purples and blues and kind of darker shades in this movie, and it's called Manhunter. Yeah, I mean, you have not seen Manhunter
1: probably 30 years ago, I have not seen it since.
0: Watch it again. Uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, um, there you may have seen the I guess you could call it the remake. Uh, It was the Red Dragon, um, Mm -hmm. which is the part of the Silence of the Lambs series. Manhunter was the original. It was the first one before Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Red Dragon was a really poor remake, in my opinion. Uh, Manhunter, if you liked Miami Vice back in the day, you'll love Manhunter because it's got all of those colors and it's very like Miami-ish. And the killer in the movie, um, I'm not giving it away by telling you, but what he does but just think about this if you grew up in the 80s the killer is a guy who works in a photo development booth so he a career
1: that does not exist today
0: doesn't exist right he picks his families based on the development of the film that's how he picks his families yes terrifying absolutely terrifying um but a great movie yeah yeah nice
1: yeah all right couple more for you here okay we're going to switch over to to music um favorite 80s song or a couple of them okay pop ones that come to mind
0: uh send me an angel Mm-hmm. real life
1: mm-hmm uh
0: um, send me an
1: angel or send me an angel 89
0: <laughs> send me an angel the original from rad yes from the movie rad yeah yeah uh Okay, so one of my dirty little secrets is I love Ario Speedwagon. So A a Time for Me to Fly is absolutely um, one of my favorites.
1: Yes, love Ario. I've seen them in in concert. uh, Gosh, it was in 1985. Here's the part, though. Cheap Trick opened for them. Cheap Trick actually outperformed them. Really? I don't think it was even supposed to. It wasn't a competition because they were all really good friends, but Cheap Trick was just... You know, it for me. But anyhow, Ario did an awesome job. So yeah. It's your list, not mine. I'm sorry. (laughs)
0: That's okay. It's all right. That's just how I do. Mine is super eclectic, just like the top 40. I noticed on one of the links on your uh on the on the website was to, you know, all of the uh the 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 top 40 and the different weeks and months in the Mm -hmm. 80s, and um my music tastes are eclectic just like those top four the top 40 used to be, where you would have Billy Nelson next to Debbie Gibson next to L Cool J, next to Poison and uh you know we'll throw in a um uh, Depeche Mode you know you'd have yeah. all of these in the top 15
1: yeah.
0: something for everybody yes. um so I would say that I had you know some all alternative music that I really enjoyed as well that some people may not even know so there's a skate band called Agent Orange which I used to listen to a lot of yeah um okay loved their music um Offspring actually kind of ripped it off a little bit um that's a whole other story uh LL Cool J I'm Bad one of my favorites because that was that was kind of really got me into hip-hop and rap but my
1: my favorite ll cool j was i'm that type of guy
0: i'm that type of guy yeah Uh, he's awesome that that song like
1: just cracks me up i mean you know it for one it sounds super cool but the story of the song just thanks for the sweater
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um I, i i i love ll um if i went to like alternative music i would say that um, there's a number of Smith songs that I really, really loved. Mm-hmm. Um, also with the Cure, obviously, um, I really enjoyed a lot of their stuff. But um, for me, I would say that um, there's several psychedelic furs songs that would be in my top songs that I'll kind of go to or really, my go tos when I'm when I'm kind of feeling uh, '80s.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think it was '80s, maybe 1989, but a uh, Buffalo Stance,
1: mm-hmm. Nina, Nina Cher- Cherry. Yeah. I
0: think that was 1989. I think it was. Um, love it. Love that mm-hmm. song. Um, so, yeah, my, my, my music's pretty pretty eclectic. Kickstart my heart, Motley Crue. I love it.
1: Great. Did, 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 I, did, did you watch the Motley Crue biopic on Netflix? I did.
0: Dirt. Yes.
1: Yeah, I thought it was good.
0: Yeah. 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 It was, it was actually well done.
1: Whoever played Ozzy Osbourne was brilliant.
0: <laughs> I don't know who that was.
1: I can't, I can't remember who it was either i but. don't know
0: who it was i'll tell you though that um, machine gun kelly did a great job as tommy lee as well
1: yeah i he did he really did
0: i was really surprised
1: actually i was too yeah because you you're just kind of think well it's netflix so i'm not really losing anything other than a couple hours of my life if i watch this thing and end up really enjoying it so
0: yeah <laughs> and i'll throw one more song out sorry i know like no about, no you're good Take, take oh you want to um, and this is only because it reminds me of one of my favorite scenes from, from 80s movies, but uh, um, The Cars, um, Stereo.
1: Moving in stereo. Yeah.
0: Hey, Sorry, it, The Cars moving it, in stereo.
1: It's okay that it's a 1978 song. I know. It sounds very 80s. Everything from The Cars sounds 80s. Yeah, I know. It's a
0: 1978 <laughs> song, but it still reminds me of...
1: That uh, Times Ridge My High. I, I cannot classic. hear Moving in stereo today without thinking about Phoebe Cates. Hi, yeah. Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Just can't do it.
0: Great little thing. I actually, Judge Reinhold signed my book and sent it back to me, which is really cool for me.
1: Oh, wow. That's yeah. cool. Very cool. Yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah. If you um, listen to Judge, maybe you could do the forward for my third book.
1: <laughs> maybe he will. Maybe he will. Um, Last question. Yeah. So you are, you're a professional wrestler in the 80s. Coming down the aisle. Your jam, your walk-up music is what?
0: Oh, you know what? You told me to think about this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been asking all of our guests here lately. This oh, same
0: um I I would actually say that it would it would probably be uh L O Col J on bad.
1: Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah.
1: Nothing wrong with that at all. That'd be a good one. Nice. That's, that's, that's a very good my, Mine would be Demolition Man by the Police.
0: That's a good one, too. So,
1: yeah. You know, yeah. That's, that's mine. But I think the second best one, well, the third best one, yours and mine are the best. The third best <laughs> one is probably Matt did um, um, Heartache Tonight by the Eagles.
0: That's Somebody a good
1: one, too. Someone for the night is through. Somebody. Yeah. That's very good. <laughs> all know, right. I, so-
0: I, funny thing a few years ago, my buddies and I, for Halloween, we dressed up as 80s wrestlers.
1: Nice. Uh, who were you?
0: I was The Undertaker.
1: I was going to say, you look like you're kind of a tall guy.
0: Yeah. I was The Undertaker. The- we had Rowdy Piper. We had the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, and then we ran into another group of dudes who were doing the same thing, and they had all different characters. So we ended up having a royal rumble out in front of a bar, and the bouncers oh. thought we were fighting, but we weren't fighting. We we're just having fun.
1: We were just, yeah. Oh my gosh, that is great. We've we've had a couple, we've had a couple wrestling podcasts on this show. We've we talked about uh, our favorite wrestlers of the '80s, and uh, I think Ric Flair ended up being number one, and then um, the uh, top wrestling organizations of the age and everything was very territorial back then. Yeah. Um, You had the WWF, but then you had, you know, the NWA, which had Georgia and Florida and all these other places. So uh, we had fun with that. And in a few weeks, we're going to be doing one more wrestling episode on our favorite tag teams of the eighties. So that'll be nice.
0: But yeah, I I think Roddy
1: Piper would have been my favorite character to have been portrayed. I, I absolutely loved him when he was in Georgia championship wrestling Feuding with Tommy Rich, that was just a classic. This is before WWF and Jimmy Snuka and the coconut and all of that. It's, it was, it was the best. I mean, he drew heat like nobody else, but. That was yeah.
0: Good. I, 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 I missed the, I definitely missed those days. I actually um, met Andre the giant. Really? So, yeah. My dad did some production work around uh, Roddy Piper's pit. I think it was Roddy Piper's pit. Yeah. It may have been another talk show. I, don't, I'm not, I can't recall. Um, but around one of the wrestling talk shows. And um, I had a chance. to. I met him. I have a picture with him when I was like 12, I think. And I can't find it. Every time I go home, I dig through the attic. Everything trying to find. I am going to find the picture. Because he had his hand on my head. I do remember <laughs> that. Um, nice. And, and uh, if you remember Special Delivery Jones, SD Jones.
1: SD Jones, yes.
0: He gave me a ride home because it was a school night, right. and the production was going late into the night. So oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's pretty that's wild. Good story. That's, that's my connection to the to 80s wrestling.
1: That is that is very nice. So, um, before we take off, I want you to tell a story here. Um, this this is something that I found super fascinating. So um, we're going to talk in a little bit, like how to get your book, but um, tell us the Barnes and Noble story. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So um, for those of you that are um, thinking about uh, writing a book, I would absolutely encourage it. 30 minutes a day. That's all it takes. Sometimes you will write three hours. Sometimes you'll write 30 minutes. Sometimes you'll write none, but get in front of your computer for 30 minutes a day. Make that commitment to yourself. You can do it today because of self-publishing. We talked about that being the great equalizer. Uh, the challenge of course is marketing your book and how do you get it into the big bookstores now. Amazon and di- the digital world has changed how people buy books forever. Um, what's really cool is independent bookstores are making a bit of a comeback, which I'm really excited about to see the small bookstore coming yeah. back. People really want to they want to kind of be a part of something rather than just pressing a button and ordering it. And I think that's really cool that that's coming back. But to try to get into Barnes and Noble, it's it's. I don't want to say impossible because you never want to say that, but it is very, very difficult. And I tried every angle I could to get my book on the shelves of Barnes and Noble. It was just a thing that I wanted to do. And at every corner, they said, no, every turn, they said, no. Even to the point where I went to the local one and said, Hey, I'm a local author. Just take five of my books on consignment. You know I mean? You got to have like a local author shelf somewhere. They don't. Okay. So it's not even about that. Like, which is to me is crazy. Like you would think with, kind of the downfall of bookstores, they would actually have some kind of local author area. What's What does it cost them that space to have a couple shelves? Anyway, this is what I tried to do. It didn't work. So I said, screw it. I'm putting my book in there myself. And I called it reverse shoplifting. So what I did was I actually wrote a note on the inside cover of two of my books, two copies of my books. And it basically said to the reader, to the shopper, hey, glad you picked up my book. I, you know, um, I always want to be in Barnes and Noble, but Barnes and Noble, it's very difficult to get your book on the shelf. So I decided to put my book on the shelf on my own. And that's why it's here. And if you think this is a cool book and you think that it should be on the shelves of Barnes and Noble, then please tag them, take a picture with my book or, you know, buy the book on Amazon or whatever and tag them at their Barnes and Noble social media. And I gave all the social media channels. And, uh, and let them know that my book should be on their shelves. I appreciate it. Thanks, the author, Chris, you know. And I, I went into Barnes & Noble with these two copies of the book, and I was going to film myself doing it. And I saw these two, these two girls in the, in the aisle that I was in. I said, hey, could you guys do me a favor? This is what I'm trying to do. And they loved it. They're like, 100%, we'll do it, we'll do it. So they filmed me talking about my book and showing the inside of it and then where I was placing it on the bookshelf in Barnes & Noble. And I put these two copies in there, and I called it Reverse Shoplifting. And I made this video and then I put it out on social media and I tagged Barnes and Noble and I said, hey, here I am. Um, Now, nothing came of it. But the cool thing is that as of at least six months ago, my books were still on the shelf at that Barnes and Noble. Um, So people hopefully have picked it up and maybe those managers just at that store thought it was cool and they just keep putting it back on the shelf because they they could actually sell it with my ISBN. But if it's not in their inventory, then they really can't. Right. So, the moral of the story sure. is: um, a store. If you want your product in a store, they don't have to inventory it. You can inventory it for them. Hmm. Good. It's not against the law.
1: No, no, it's not.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's just my product. I put it on their That's shelves. Right. If you, you didn't you take anything candles.
1: from anybody. There's yeah, there's whatever.
0: whatever you make, walk That's into great. a store that sells it and put it on the shelf.
1: So with the knowledge that we cannot go to our local Barnes and Noble, pick up your books, where can we get them?
0: So we can get them, you can get them on the hard copies on Amazon, Mm -hmm. just like everything else, I think these days. And uh, you can also get the Kindle versions on Amazon as well for both books. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can get the Kindle version on a number of other digital I'm sorry. it shouldn't say the Kindle version. Another number of other digital platforms as well. Um, Barnes and Noble digital. I do have it there, uh, and a number of other. Um, I think it's. I think it's. In, I think it's on Google and digital also. So, uh, but the main for the hard copy is going to be Amazon for now. Okay. Uh, what What 80s pop culture teaches us about today's workplace. The first book is the yellow cover. The second book is the black cover. The mm-hmm. second book is a few more bucks, but I highly recommend the second one over the first one. As I said, I was cutting my teeth on the first one. Uh, the second one is just a much better book. It's a much deeper dive into the movies and the lessons. And I just think it's, it's a better overall product. You know, that, that's It just is. Cool. Um, and the third book is in process right now. I will so tell can, you that. Yeah. So
1: when can we expect that to come out?
0: Late spring. Perfect. Um, it'll we'll probably be on now. pre-sale in January. Probably February will be on pre-sale.
1: Nice. Yeah. Guys, go out support Chris. This is a good cause. Uh I know I ordered my copy on uh it's on on, on the Kindle version. So, um make sure that you, you support the cause. You know, the holidays are coming up. You have that person who absolutely has everything. They're hard to shop for, but they love all things 80s. You're welcome. There it is. <laughs> Well, All thanks.
0: Right. I appreciate that. And Rob, if I could just say one more thing, I'm actually also for those that are you know, part of, of organizations, associations, companies, I'm also a speaker and yeah. I talk about this very topic, uh, what 80s pop culture can teach us about life in the workplace. And I can theme my content to whatever theme your event has. So if it's leadership, inclusion, workplace culture, or just kind of life in general, I do a lot of that. I've been traveling quite a bit, which I'm very thankful for. I'm traveling to different conferences now that things are live again and speaking on that topic. Um, I absolutely love it. You can find that information on me at chrisclues.com, c h r i s c l e w C H R I S C L E W S dot com.
1: Perfect. Chris, thank you so much for joining us this week. It has been a pleasure. It's been wonderful. And i um, looking forward to hearing lots of good stuff from you in the future. So yeah, um, as as tradition it goes around here um chris is leaving so his his uh his wrestling walk-up music goes too so here's ll cool j so guys take care god bless we'll see you next time
0: stay rad everybody uh, no,
1: rap, rap quite like i can i take a muscle bound man and put his face in the sand not the last mafioso i'm a- Sea cow, make it say go LL and do the why. If you think you cannot buy me, yeah, boy, I bet. Cause I met a mother who could do that yet. Trans I'm better, but rhymes are good. I got a go mate late. That says I wish you would and win. I got
0: a You dated Diane Lane. Yes.
1: Yes, I did. Wow.